0: on movies with Rebecca and Jason. Are you gonna
1: love or hate Here, Here comes the binge. Hey everybody, welcome to The Binge, in which a couple of homos review the latest movie theater releases. I am Jason Leroy,
0: And I'm Rebecca Larte, and today we have, you guessed it, three movies for you. Boy Erased, Suspiria, and Bohemian Rhapsody. And as always, we're going to rate these movies on a three-tiered scale, with Binge-It being our highest rating. Consumer moderation means it's okay, but it's kind of meh. And send it back means life is
1: too short for that mess.
0: That mess. That mess. Uh Jason, what's going on with you? What's what's happening?
1: Well, thanks for asking. You're welcome. Uh well, as we're taping this show, it is the night before the midterms. Oh my. And by the time you're all hearing this show, the midterms will likely have concluded um several weeks ago. Uh and so uh, this might be the last uh hopeful voiced podcast you hear from us for a while or maybe this will be the last you know fearful tremulous voiced podcast you hear from us in a while that's
0: definitely not the case
1: uh <laughs> that's fair uh but maybe who knows um but to you listening to this you already know the outcome so that's what they thought you call that dramatic irony right mm. now they know something that we don't
0: what's the worst oh yeah you're right what's the worst that could happen jason well, let's not talk about that. Okay. What's the best that could happen, Jason?
1: Well, I think we know the best that could happen. On is... your way
0: to, to voting, you get hit by a car.
1: Uh-huh. Right. And then as far as you know, things went great. The light. <laughs> <laughs> because you're like looking around and you're like, well, all I see are people going and voting blue. So
0: I think I'm just going to choose that things went great. You wake up in a coma 20 years later. And mm-hmm.
1: no, I think that is um favorable, favorable mm-hmm, outcome is mm-hmm. what they call that. Yeah. Uh so but with that said, we have just come off of a Halloween season. Mm. And uh and once again, Scott and I went all out with our looks, as I believe we've hinted at in previous episodes. You did. Uh and uh if for those who don't know, Scott and I dressed up as two characters from Glow, the Netflix series. I was Zoya the Destroyer. Scott was Liberty bell Scott had put the, all the costumes and everything together. Uh, and and I would say that it turned out pretty well. Uh, you
0: won an award?
1: We did. We did. Yeah. Um, we went to Oasis that night mm-hmm. and, uh, and we entered the best in show costume contest with a lot of other people. And uh, it's decided by audience applause. And it came down to us. Uh, it, it helped that there was another guy there dressed as Sheila the She-Wolf from Glow. Oh, nice! So, so we made a little trio. Um, that also happened when we did Stranger Things. Uh, there was somebody there dressed as uh, um, Eleven. So, but that didn't win. This one did. Uh, we triumphed over a bunch of little Twinkie gay boys dressed as Black Swan. Wow! Which, yeah, which admittedly I was like, I like it. It's good. It's a good look. Um, you know, I would say it was definitely an uphill battle over the course of that day trying to get ready. Uh, We made a lot of rookie mistakes uh, that you would think that after all these years of doing like drag Halloween looks, we wouldn't do. Um, But Scott really kicked it up a notch this year. Uh, For instance, I did not realize that you should put on your press on nails last. I put them on pretty early um, and then found out the hard way that it's damn near impossible to do most things. When you have very long um, kind of talons that are sticking out over your fingertips. Fingertips don't get enough uh, uh, hype, but fingertips come through when you need them. <laughs> you need them for a lot of things, such as hiking up um, dance tights uh, oh. or other restrictive undergarments, butt pads, all the things I was wearing. Very hard to do mm. um, while uh, whilst taloned yeah, yeah. in the way that I was. Yeah. Uh, so that was a mistake we both made. But uh all in all, it was a, a really fun night. We did win the costume contest and then we wump getting the costumes back on um a few days later for Halloween proper on Wednesday. And um after going to a uh drag uh tribute to the original Suspiria, uh we decided to just go into the Castro because Scott was feeling he was feeling his oats about these costumes. He was <laughs> he was feeling pretty good and uh, as he deserved to um, because earlier that same day, we once again made it to the Instagram account of the person we were dressed up as.
0: This is the third year?
1: This is, Lena well, Dunham. well it's the second consecutive year after Reese Witherspoon last year, and now Allison Brie. Uh, and then, yeah, some years back, I think it was like 2013 was when Lena Dunham regrammed us. Mm-hmm. Um, and that one was just us. She said, yeah. my favorite Halloween Hannah and Adam.
0: And that's why you're still an apologist
1: <laughs> that's why that's why i can never really turn on her <laughs> i'm a good fan uh so uh yeah so we went to the castro and uh in our enormous getup and we discovered that like castro halloween now has become this kind of hilarious international tourist trap where cuz like locals don't really go to the castro anymore cuz they know that the castro halloween festivities of yore have long been canceled mm. Um, so instead what happens is there's just, it turns into like the front of Grauman's Chinese theater.
0: Um, (laughs) Like a giant Elmo that's drunk.
1: Yeah. There's just a lot of people in costumes and a lot of international tourists, like grabbing them and being like, picture, picture. And, um, and if in case you're wondering, uh, if we turn our nose up at that, we did not. No. not. No, we were only too delighted. We took our sweet time walking all four corners of the Castro.
0: So did you figure out how to walk on those heels? We did
1: eventually. So we...
0: Scott was fine right out of the gate. You were the one that was walking around here like a baby baby horse. How dare
1: you? Well, no, Scott actually had the most lasting damage, so he wasn't doing that great after all, I'll have you know. (laughs) Um, I'm like, so there, he's in a lot of pain, ha! Uh, he, uh, I his, t-
0: he won. his wow. toes,
1: uh, his toes, a lot of his toes were numb the next morning after that Saturday. Mm. And, um, they, to this day, I believe are still kind of not
0: fully back. Did he have his press on toenails in? <laughs> no. Okay.
1: Um, I just had some minor, uh, some minor inflammation in my calf muscle from being too clenched from trying not to fall. <laughs>
0: uh,
1: so, uh, so yeah, we're walking up and down. Um, just stopping for every people, uh, any old person who wants a picture, And in the process, we discover this whole, like, subculture of people who dress up in costumes specifically to go to the Castro and be photographed. Oh. Like, there were people there who were by themselves in a costume who were just, like, hungry-eyed trolling for tourists with cameras.
0: It's like a Comic-Con.
1: Yeah. It was literally—it was like Comic-Con. It was like, I'm here. Who wants my picture? And it's gotten there, like, oh, how distasteful. And someone's like, picture, we're like, yes. (laughs) Uh, The other hilarious thing was that um, not once, not twice, but maybe three or four times, people would look at our costumes and be like, oh, I get it, America and Russia.
0: And we're like kind of
1: you're halfway there yeah. yeah yeah uh so even if you don't watch glow apparently our costumes uh came through as uh, speaking of the america russia conflict right um and uh and and you just assumed yeah sure and they also decided to dress up like lady wrestlers uh embodying why not these two countries so uh but yeah all in all another successful halloween for us rebecca what's up with you
0: um, I ended up going with uh, uh, Sorry to Bother You For Halloween uh, and, and how did uh, that go uh, Well my girlfriend and I Won most creative Did you At a costume contest <gasps> party That we went to No mm-hmm. I didn't. Yeah and here's the thing You had to like You know Go stand into in, in the line To be uh, To you know, put yourself up For an award And it was like Best couples costume And we kind of like Went over and then We're like no, like no Like only a few people Seen the movie Like let's not do it There was a really good um, Someone was dressed As that, as that Salt Bay guy because he looked the guy who like throws the salt on the steak. Oh, uh huh. He looked just like him, and he was dressed like him. And then his girlfriend or his wife was uh, a, a giant piece of steak. Oh, it was very cute, and I was like, "We're never gonna beat that."
1: So it would have been like the eat your grapes, Rebecca thing, uh, if that had come exactly, to fruition.
0: Exactly. Exactly. We're not even talking about that anymore. <laughs> never speak of that again. <laughs> So disappointed. (laughs) Um, But uh, so we were like, no, let's just sit this one out. And then they were like, most creative. And they're like, actually, it's someone who wasn't even in the contest. And we got it sitting down. (gasps) Yeah. Oh, wow. It was very, it was very excited about it. That's high praise. It. Thank you. Well, the person
1: who was making that decision must be an in-the-know
0: person. Um, actually, it wasn't. We had just shown them photos. You're yeah, like, it was a nobody.
1: It was a, <laughs> it was a total dummy.
0: <laughs> no, they were great people, but oh. they hadn't seen the movie. Oh, wow. But they was on their to-watch this. They had seen oh. the trailer. Oh,
1: and this party was in Oakland, was it not? Yeah, it
0: was. And people are busy.
1: People, uh, people are
0: busy. It was a limited release. People are busy. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> and... I did get some, I posted a photo of it on the internet. We should probably post these in maybe like the Facebook group or something. Perhaps. Um, I got a a lot of, um, I didn't know that was you in that photo.
1: (laughs) I mean, yeah, the photo that you guys posted on Instagram was spectacular. You guys both looked amazing.
0: (laughs) I was surprised at how easy it came together. I went to a thrift store that morning and it kind of all worked out.
1: Wow, um,
0: but just the little things. I guess we just look enough like those people.
1: It's <laughs> <laughs> a natural. Thing. Yet not. Uh, how did how did uh, how did Sol put that color in her hair?
0: And they have this like. Uh, is this your tips for next year? Yes. They have this spray that you can buy at like Target. That just like you spray mm. it on. It's like an aerosol, and it uh, it paints your hair, and then it just washes out.
1: And she had, she had ordered those earrings, right?
0: No, she uh, printed them out and then uh, wow. like taped them so that they were solid, and then uh, affixed them to existing big earrings.
1: The innovation of all this—I'm—you—you mm. gl- you guys deserve to win that. Oh, contest. thank you. I'm really proud of you. Thank
0: you very much.
1: You know, this is that makes our podcast the 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 most Halloween costume awarded podcast there is I of think. all time. I think I'm gonna throw that out there. I'm yeah. pretty sure it's substantiated.
0: One more, not so much with that with me, but just a movie related question for you. Actually, have you seen Shirkers on Netflix?
1: Um, no, but I. I think I got an email about it from a publicist the other day. Mm, Really? Yeah.
0: Um, It's on Netflix now and I started to watch it um, on my plane. I I was in LA this weekend for a conference and it looked interesting and I've only seen like the first 30 minutes, but I cannot wait to have another free hour and a half to (laughs) finish the movie. So far, so good. Well, uh,
1: tell us about it. What is it?
0: It's this documentary um, by this uh, woman from Singapore who made this movie when she was 18. And it's all about her and her friends who had always wanted to make movies growing up. And they um, were like real outsiders. And they had, uh, they worked on their own zines. This is like the late 80s, early 90s. And... Um, then they meet up with this guy who's like a filmmaker who's, I believe American. And they, she, she really wants to make like a road film. And so it's them, her now uh, reconnecting with her friends and and interviewing them and and telling the story of what happened because this movie that may or may not have been made is some sort of mystery and like um, some kind of urban legend. Hmm. So I don't know. I have no idea what the actual legend is, what's going on. But like what you see now of what was filmed then is like, really, really cool. Hmm. It's really beautiful, really nice. Um, and then the documentary like style is, is very interesting as well and compelling and just uses a lot of like really neat visual effects. Um, so yeah, hooked so far.
1: Wow, well, there you go. Yeah, I read the, just the premise from the publicist email. I was like, that sounds really cool right i did not know it was a netflix movie so now i've lost interest but it's, <laughs> it's, it sounds interesting all the same
0: mm-hmm. um yeah i'll uh, i'll finish it and then we'll uh, talk about it uh next show which Let's... is not this
1: week no no next week we're taking off
0: so it'll be the week after yeah yeah um but the movies we have this week uh the first one we're going to talk about is boy erased jared Emons the son of a small town baptist pastor must overcome the fallout after being outed as gay to his parents. His father and mother struggle to reconcile their love for their son with their beliefs. Fearing a loss of family, friends, and community, Jared is pressured into attending a conversion therapy program. While there, he comes into conflict with its leader and begins his journey, finding his own voice and accepting his true self. Welcome to the Refuge Program. You cannot be born a homosexual. This is a lie. It's a choice. Go. Fake it till you
1: make it. Become the man you are not. Save yourself.
0: Jared, God will not
1: love you the way that you are. Is this what you want? Who's going to strike this
0: demon down? Hit him! So this is our second movie about conversion therapy um, so far this year. Our second movie in a row about uh, father-son after Beautiful Boy. Something tells me you have uh, an experience that relates to this movie. Oh, Lord. You'd like to share. Oh, my God. I didn't even think about what I'm asking. But, like, <laughs> the last time we talked about conversion therapy movies, right, right, um, right. you have a perspective.
1: I do. Well, yeah. I mean, as you guys have probably heard me talk about before, especially when we did our Miseducation of Karen Post episode, you know, I do have a background in this kind of subject matter because. Uh, When I was in college, I was an evangelical Christian, and I felt like I couldn't be gay, and so I was like an ex-gay and was going to ex-gay meetings, and, uh, you know, it was kind of a really turbulent five years or so of my life that I, like, fully, 100% uh, believed uh, that I was, you know, that essentially that I had to choose against my uh, sexual identity in order to be um, a faithful Christian, so... Uh, so, but my journey sort of diverges from the stories in Cameron Post, as well as in Boy Erased, in the sense that nobody forced me into it. I was not, um, like a minor who had some, you know, family that was trying to, um, yeah, force my hand, take away my agency. Um, you know, that would not have gone great, uh, because that's just such a highway to rebellion. Uh, you know, I almost wish they would have, (laughs) so I could have been like that, like, (laughs) that like, yeah, sneering, like Avril Lavigne looking kid, uh, sitting at gay conversion camp. Uh, but instead, uh, you know, I, so this kid, this, this is a true story. Uh, and, um, it is directed by and co-starring, um, Joel Edgerton, Mm -hmm. the Aussie actor, uh, who is uh, also directed and, co- and co-starred in *The Gift*, which is a really terrific psychological thriller from a few years back. And uh, in the movie, he plays the sort of head uh, therapist, if you will, at this particular mm-hmm. gay conversion camp. Um, which I can't remember the name of what they give it in the movie, but something—it was something along the lines of *Love One Out*, uh, which was a real—which mm. was the name of one that I was kind of connected to. And um, and so. Uh, Lucas Hedges plays this as yes, young teen boy who essentially uh has a oof, I mean the whole thing he talk about your bumpy roads to uh be, to being like a functional gay adult. Uh so in the case of, of of this kid um named for the purposes of the film Jared. Uh he is uh yeah, he's growing up in this household where his dad's a baptist minister. And um and so he has that kind of the hyper pressure of being a PK, of being a preacher's kid. And uh then he goes off to college and has uh an experience uh that leads to uh him sort of being outed to his parents. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh and when they uh sort of propose to him <clears throat> that, you know, maybe he should go to one of these programs he is very receptive to it um so this is not a case where he is kicking and screaming like he's actually very open to it and he he's still he's like ashamed of himself this this thing that happens to him when he's in college has left him very much turned around um and uh and so he really has like this kind of preachers kids um willingness to just be like okay sure um you know you guys are right and i'm open to this like let's 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 go for it and, uh, and so, um, it's really a testament to how horrible these programs are that even a kid as open to it as, as this kid was, um, <laughs> still ultimately, um, sort of curdles, um, in the face of how toxic and nonsensical, um, and insulting it all is.
0: Which I actually liked about the movie. I think that you're often set up with that dynamic of like, um, you know, rebellious, rebellious kid, or like, not you don't Cameron have to Post. be rebellious. But I you mean, have... Cameron Post was like that. Right. Um having this sort of the where the vehicle is like very measured and, and like mature for his age um just just created a little bit of a different dynamic and watching him sort of stand up for what's right for himself and for the for others in the group based on his own integrity um was was refreshing
1: Hmm. yeah yeah uh it, it is interesting because he is jared is such a He's like a good, virtuous kid. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, he's naturally, uh, you know, he's very, he has a great moral center. He's very thoughtful. He's very sensitive. He's perceptive of others and how Mm -hmm. they're doing and how they're feeling. And like you said, he does kind of start to connect with others in the group. And he, his heart goes out to them when he sees them being, what amounts to being bullied and abused by Joel Edgerton's character. And, uh, and so, and he, and so, yeah, you're kind of, he has the moral imperative already, right, right, um, and uh, and the fact that, but it, it it does somehow make it more interesting that he goes in as like totally on board and totally mm-hmm. like yeah, I'm I'm here for this, I'm up for it, um, and then when he's confronted with the ugly reality of what these conversion programs are like, then he is kind of not radicalized but he he wakes up
0: mm-hmm. yeah and i think that like most people watching this movie would watch it um you know in not from his perspective you're looking at this and you're like oh my god this is terrible and you already have your judgments about it so mm-hmm. it's almost like a little bit of like an interesting uh shift to to watch it from his point of view instead of your own sort of like already outraged at conversion therapy to begin with right
1: right exactly and uh and in a lot of ways um you know even though jared is the protagonist uh, the movie is just as much, if not more, about the evolution of his mother, who's played by Nicole Kidman, uh, hmm. who, who is outstanding in this film. I think uh, she uh, goes with him uh, on this journey um, because apparently they make the kids stay at hotels nearby, mm-hmm. like with their parents or with guardians, and um, and she goes with him. The father is played by Russell Crowe stays behind. He's
0: really uh, leaning into his Steve Bannon-ness.
1: Yeah, yeah. And this is also, this is, this movie is uh, three for three on Aussies playing Southerners. Right. Uh, so that's, that's, that's the Edgerton for you. Uh, so uh, because, you know, Nicole Kidman really nails the kind of hopeful optimism, but like still like pure maternal love that she has. And she's kind of very, and you, she doesn't play the character with a modicum of hate or bigotry uh she is there because she loves her son and she wants to see him being his best self being his happiest being his healthiest and um and so and it ultimately is is in in some ways more about a turn of a change of heart she has uh that leads to sort of um the film's resolution
0: i mean i think we look at her as a character and, and the evolution she uh, goes through and you're just like hoping that that happens to every um a white woman who voted for Trump. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Like, wait a minute, okay, you, you did what you thought you were supposed to do and then you looked at things and you realized what was happening and the effect it was having on people and you stood up for what you believed in.
1: Right. Uh, and Nicole Kidman also is once again back to uh, platinum blonde hair and a southern twang, of which she has not done since Lee Daniels, The Paperboy, and I am here for it. <laughs> uh, so yeah, there's uh, some other oddballs in the cast here and there, namely uh, Flea.
0: Oh right. That was I was there for that. That's for <laughs> sure.
1: That was Flea is terrifying.
0: Creepily, creepily uh intense performance. Very good. Very yeah. scary.
1: Yeah, and that's Oof. that's so that's so typical of the of, of a lot of these, you know, a lot of Christian groups uh like that because you'll have those like ex-cons who came to Jesus uh, while they were behind bars or something and they show up and they're still absolutely terrifying <laughs> and that's sort of what Flea brings to the table in this movie it's so terrifying um, there's two bits of odd stunt casting amongst the other boys at the program uh, one of which is um, pop queer pop superstar mm. Troy Sivan mm-hmm Mopping, sporting just the faggiest mop of blonde curls that he would never in a million years have been allowed to go into that place with. They would have shaved his head day one, <laughs> let me tell you. Um, so there was no luck getting Troye Sivan to remove his trademark locks for the purposes of this film. Uh, and then also uh, Quebecois filmmaker, uh, Xavier Dolan uh, is in the film as well, um, doing what appears to be um, his own personal private backstory that he never clues the rest of the movie in on. Um uh, oh, right! Because he's a good ten years younger than the other guys there, and he has like a black eye, and he just no, never, ex- never never explains it. No idea. Never explains it. Uh. So um.
0: That was a weird red herring.
1: Yeah, it didn't go anywhere. No,
0: I thought it was either going to be a love interest or like right. some sort of like he would you know kind of foil. Yeah, or, or like yeah. tragic um story. But yeah, that was that was strange.
1: Very strange. Um. So um. Some have said that this is another gay movie for straight people.
0: The whole third act around really trying to find resolution with his father and and making that sort of like the mark of success um I think is most with most feels kind of pandering to the mm-hmm. the uh, straight audience that wants to see that that um
1: well, I think it's also for straight people in the sense that ultimately. This movie is a well meaning pamphlet for the religious parents of queer teenagers mm, mm, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. that's who this is for yeah um, it's not for you know I think that yeah will we'll queer kids watch it and hopefully feel some kind of lifeline, some sense of not being alone and seeing somebody you know go through the process of being you know going into a queer convert or a you know gay conversion camp and you know come out to those sides stronger with a sense of himself and um you know knowing that this guy is out there today um you know living an open gay life and and you know and loving it uh but really it is more for yeah it's sort of it's just for the parents it's you know this is sort of like a it's like a PSA yeah it's like you know it has that kind of after school special feel Mm -hmm. to it it's it's incredibly earnest Mm -hmm. uh very um yeah, very sincere mm-hmm. uh and guileless and, you know, kind of humorless. Uh just very just yeah, very, very takes a very delicate, sensitive uh approach to telling the story and and you know, winds up hitting a lot of the expected beats and notes that Cameron Post hit, mm-hmm. uh that, you know, Brahma Cheerleader hit. Uh <laughs> <laughs> I, I was gonna make the comparison. Listen, you're like, listen, I didn't say it. I didn't say it. Not this time. Um
0: I mean it's boring. Yeah, I mean, it's not it's- particularly uh, cutting edge. No. Um, and I found that the I found the best part of the movie was yeah the message in general of standing up for what you believe in uh, in the face of adversity and for other people when so many people are sitting there and doing nothing um, to be the the note that that is the highlight regardless of the context of what they were doing um, and yeah the rest of it just seemed I don't know yeah unremarkable. Yeah,
1: yeah, it it is. It's a pretty unremarkable, unremarkable movie, and I will say that I I have dreams to this day where I'm like back in those those days, my evangelical days, and I suddenly just feel like I can I can say no, like I can disagree, I can shoot this down, um, mm. because that so once we get to these parts in the film where Lucas Hedges is starting to fight back and challenge uh, Joel Edgerton. Uh, It was very cathartic for me uh, Mm. just to see him just being like just calling out the bullshit of it um, and rejecting these sorts of false, you know, um, corrupt psychological narratives that um, that are the bedrock of these uh, of these programs Mm. Mm -hmm. uh, where they try to sort of plant ideas in your head about your parents and find ways to blame your parents for the way that you are. Because you weren't supposed to be that way. God didn't make you this way. Mm. So, like, what, you, what was wrong with your parents? Like, where would your mom do wrong? Would your dad do wrong? Uh, and, uh, and I think, you know, this movie depicts that with, I think, the sort of the, um, with the lack of complexity that it deserves to be depicted with. Mm. <laughs> it's yeah, just like, yeah. yeah, it's just stupid. It's just stupid. And, uh, you know, obviously wildly thoroughly debunked a million times over and uh so yeah so it was interesting to go back and and relive that and I did also Nicole Kidman's big scene I was I felt very I was having a huge emotional reaction Mm. watching that uh because you know because you know mothers as as we know father stuff does nothing for me but mother-son stuff does so (laughs) so and this has a very powerful mother-son scene Mm -hmm. um and it just feels like I just yeah I wanted to stand and cheer. I mean, uh, especially
0: well. with with Lucas Hedges cuz yeah. he his whole his whole person is just like yeah. needing a mother's hug. That's like mm-hmm. his whole thing and um he's fantastic. He's, he's so, so fantastic good. in this movie. He's so good. Um yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but just like seeing those adult men not doing anything when like a teenager is being abused by a mm-hmm. bunch of adults just brings up that like the the cowardice that's so pervasive um around people. I don't know. Yeah. Sickening.
1: Well, and and the sad reality is that um, gay conversion therapy is still um, legal in, I think, 30-some states. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, So in this movie, it very much wants to be about, um, you know, a work of advocacy. That's not a word. Advocacy? Uh, Yes, a work of of advocacy. (laughs) A work of advocacy to uh, alert people to that, to be like, listen, like, this is what it is. So I feel like in a way it's more about that it's more of an issue movie than Cameron Post mm-hmm, was. Cameron mm-hmm. Post was sort of like a coming of age movie. Um, whereas this is more of just like a straight up issue movie. Mm-hmm. And it ends with a lot of title cards, like letting you oh, know how yeah, you can right? get involved. So it's very much Oof. that kind of movie. What are you giving this one? Uh, it's a consume for me.
0: Consume here too. Yeah. Unless you uh, happen to be a Christian parent with a gay kid. Right. In which case, binge it.
1: Yes. Yeah. Then you should watch it. I mean, I think I, I hope that it becomes like a reference film for uh, for people because i think it unlike karen post which had a kind of a more of a of a indie provocative edge to it this is just so this goes down pretty easy mm-hmm. uh so i think it families who are in this situation should be able to watch this together and have some conversations
0: boy race is rated r for sexual content including an assault some language and brief drug use our second movie this week is suspiria young american dancer susie bannon arrives in 1970s berlin to audition for the world-renowned Helenka Marcos Dance Company. When she vaults to the role of lead dancer, the woman she replaces breaks down and accuses the company's female directors of witchcraft. Meanwhile, an inquisitive psychotherapist and a member of the troupe uncover dark and sinister secrets as they probe the depths of the studio's hidden underground chambers. When you dance the dance of another, you make yourself in the image of its
1: creator. I feel like I'm not even here yet. The damn it's incredible. One, two, three. The way she transmits her work. You have to decide what is it you want to be for this company.
0: There's more in that building
1: than what you can see, Doctor.
0: You are living with dangerous people. Anybody would bet money that you would be in love with this movie. But those of you who listen to the show may have gotten a little bit of a spoiler a couple of weeks ago when Jason came in here huffing and a puffing because of Zizberia.
1: Yes, I was. I did huff and puff because uh, this movie is longer than I knew it was going to be. And uh, and it fucked with my plans. Mm. (laughs) So that's why I was so angry. Um, it's hard for me to know, um, if I would have had a different experience of the movie had I not been outraged at its length.
0: Did you know when you got there?
1: I, no, I didn't know it was going to be that long. Were you starting
0: to get anxious when you could, your internal clock could tell and you were like, I, I don't even know how much is left.
1: I started to get anxious. So it was like a daytime screening. It started at two and I was thinking, okay, this will be done. The original was like 90 minutes long. Um, you know, this will probably be around that ballpark and um and then so it started up and then i just remember looking at my phone um and noticing that it was now 3 30. minutes had passed and the movie was it felt like it was nowhere even near its middle um mm. uh, that's when i started to get a little concerned uh and then that broke out into a full-blown rage mm-hmm. um once the once the once it turned four o'clock um and thing and there was no end in sight uh that's <laughs> when i started to get really cranky and um so this movie, I will, I will acknowledge is, this is one of the most polarizing, if not the most polarizing movie of the year.
0: Is it the mother of 2018? Um, like, God. No, that was universally banned.
1: Right. Yeah, no, I don't know. I mean, I don't know that it's the mother, cause I feel like it's more, it's kind of motherish, I guess you could say, because it is, you know, it's very audacious. And it's definitely one of those movies that would get like an F cinema score. I'm not sure if it has a cinema score yet, because I think it's mainly only been playing in like Mother, they stupidly gave it, like, a wide release like it was, like, any other studio Jennifer Lawrence movie.
0: Right. You're like, oh, you know, if you love The Hunger Games right. and, like, whatever that, I don't know, rom-com she's in.
1: Right. If you love Silver Linings playbook.
0: I guess she hasn't been in any rom-coms. But it's nothing that. quite like this.
1: No. Um, so Suspiria is getting more of a, you know, limited art house run, which is as it should be. And, um, you know, honestly, I feel like I feel such trepidation venturing into this review because I feel like a really bad art fag, art fag, um, I feel like a really (laughs) bad art fag because I didn't love it. And, um, and and I will also invoke the Ingu Clause and say, imagine like the, the, like the worst Santa in history, the Ingu Clause. <laughs> uh if you've been really bad. ingu class comes to Um It's that
0: thing where Ingo Ingu just walks in the movie and then sits on your lap the whole time and-,
1: <laughs> and just like says like whispers horrible things about it into your ear. Uh so uh yeah, I sat next to Ingu and she um from I was still liking it in the beginning, it was like two minutes in and then one of Tom York's because Tom York does the original score, it's his first full original score for a movie. And um, it's mainly just, you know, instrumental music. And then he um, has, like, maybe two songs in it. One song plays over the opening sequence. And um, and it was, like, two seconds into the song. And I was just like, oh, Tom York's voice. And then Inga leaned over and goes, I fucking hate his voice so much. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I feel like with a movie this long, you're lucky that just at about three-fourths of the way through she didn't just start pulling out clumps of hair and throwing them at you
1: <laughs> that's fair that's that's Ingu's, ingu claus's go-to that's, <laughs> that's, I mean, if you don't get presents we have clumps of hair laying uh, under the tree then you know ingu claus was there <laughs> um so uh and that's another i feel like there's been people have really turned on tom york in general too because one art fag that i know um has been very defensive about this movie on facebook and sort of uh just calling out, like he's like, if I hear one more person complain about the length of this movie, I'm sorry that you don't like watching something beautiful for that long. And um, and then he's like, if it, the only if it wasn't for Tom York's fucking voice, it would be perfect. And like other people in the comments were like, oh my god, I hate his voice so much. And he's like, I know. I'm like, what happened? Tom York has like one of the most beautiful voices in the history of male rock singers. I don't get it. That's I don't.
0: that's just what face. That's what Facebook's doing. I guess. Imagine so. Imagine that, but the election.
1: Mm, mm-hmm.
0: See how it works. I was
1: thinking maybe it was like a millennial thing. No, I
0: think it's probably a bot. Mm. <laughs> it's probably a troll from out, an, of, out an, of Ukraine. It's
1: an art bag bot. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they start with they first they came for Siberia <laughs> then they come for your <laughs> midterm elections. You're <Just> saying
1: <clears throat> okay, so um, Back so inside. yeah, so so this movie is uh, yeah, definitely not for everyone. Um, it it is currently sitting at a. Not great. 62% on Rotten Tomatoes. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that speaks to its kind of love it or hate it um, reactions it's provoked in people. Uh, and uh, it provokes a strong reaction pretty much in everyone. Uh, so mm. it is it it is in that. And that's what makes it so polarizing. Like there, there's no way to kind of watch this movie and just kind of walk away like, mm.
0: Okay. Give me three reasons to love it.
1: Oof. Um, okay. Three reasons to love it. Uh, well, if you love Tilda Swinton, she plays no fewer than three different characters, mm-hmm. um, two of which are absolutely unrecognizable. Well, not absolutely, but fairly unrecognizable. Um, they were kind of playing this little game where they're trying to act like um, that her second main character, who which is a, a German psychoanalyst man um they were playing a game for a while because she's she's credited under a fake actor's name uh, mm. as that character so um so the director luca Guadagnino was trying to play a game where they weren't going to say it was her uh, but then eventually he gave it up hmm. uh so you it's hard not to love um three tildas in one movie i think yeah. the most we had before this was hail caesar where there were two tildas mm-hmm. uh, is this
0: your um th- those are the thought three reasons Tilda, sure. Tilda. tilda. <laughs> yeah Tilda,
1: Tilda, Tilda. tilde um So it is, okay. So issues with this movie, my issues with this movie, uh, as I mentioned, it is a full hour plus longer than the first movie, uh, Dario Argento's uh, 1977 classic. And yet even less happens. Mm.
0: Less happens. That's, that's where you, that's where you're getting, um, just, just cocky.
1: Right it feels very indulgent. The whole thing feels mm-hmm. very, and it kind of was, I guess, you know, for, for Guadagnino, uh, the original Suspiria was, um, was just a benchmark personal favorite of his. It's a lifelong obsession. And, um, and so I think it is kind of fundamentally indulgent to be mm-hmm. like, okay, well now you have all this capital coming off calling by your name. And so, uh, yeah, let's just have Amazon throw some money at you and you can just kind of go to town and tell your version of, uh, of Suspiria. So, mm-hmm. uh, And, uh, so there's that, uh, there is the issue of it feeling just kind of wantonly, um, uh, indulgent with its length, uh, with it, how, how sort of languid and quiet it is and how many stretches go on with like seemingly nothing happening. Um, there is the issue with the aforementioned Tilda character, the, um, the male psychotherapist or psychoanalyst, Uh, A character that's been invented wholesale, uh, essentially, for this movie. Uh, It was like a tiny bit role in the original. And now they have made this character have like an entire B storyline where he is kind of this, he gets tipped off by one of the girls who flees from this dance school, that something's going on there. And so we're like following him while he's kind of like mounting this investigation to see what he can learn about what's going on at this dance academy, um, which is a little hacky. And um which kind of leads me into another issue I have with it. This movie goes to great, great lengths to give a lot of historical socioeconomic uh context for Berlin 1977, uh, which is where and when it takes place. Um they uh there's a lot of stuff about um the Bader-Meinhof uh, mm. gang, uh, the German Autumn uh, there is a lot of um, this the the therapist character has a whole storyline involving like um, survivor guilt, survivor's guilt from the mm-hmm. Holocaust um, and um, so all of this just very fraught, heavy weighted stuff signifying so much about the 20th century. Um, and then the the Berlin wall is literally their dance academy is right on it. like you on walk out, you, you walk out the front door and the Berlin Wall is right in front of you. So, it's not subtle, Mm -hmm. but all that stuff winds up having nothing at all to do with the story. It is a total, (laughs) total and complete dead end, has nothing to do with it, Uh, except for in the case of The Psychoanalyst, which again, it's like this weird kind of hacky, schmaltzy thing. Uh, So, that was really weird. Uh, The whole thing is very kind of uh, woo-woo in a way that doesn't quite click for me, but Honestly, what made me think about, uh, it made me think about, uh, something that I heard Tatiana Maslany say in, uh, Up and Tiff for the screening of Destroyer, uh, which is the Karin Kusama movie with Nicole Kidman, where mm-hmm. she plays like the grizzled, like, junkie cop. Um.
0: Your favorite type.
1: Mm-hmm. And, uh, if I can't have her platinum blonde with a twang, I'll take her as a grizzled junkie cop. <laughs> and, uh, so the timeline of Destroyer is, um, is, is very, uh wacky. Uh, it's a very sort of like uh, it's very nonlinear. It's kind of all over the place. And I was just annoyed by it. Um, but then um, it's worth knowing it is written by two men, but Tatiana was saying that she felt like there was something that was very um, very female about the timeline, about the structure of the story. She felt like it was much more. it was very like fe- female storytelling. Uh, the way that it uses time in like unconventional ways. Hmm. And um and so that I, I automatically was just like, oh no, I'm I'm a am i I'm a misogynist. Uh <laughs> you know, I, like, oh, I thought it was just bad time. And now you now you're telling me it's just lady time. <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know. And um and I've seen um and then I remember reading this um this essay on Criterion's website where um the uh the the stunning trans model and actress Hari Neff was asked to name her 10 favorite criterion titles. And she kept coming back to this idea of the chaotic feminine. Um, cause I think Mahal and drive was her number one, um, which you can relate to. Mm-hmm. And, um, <laughs> and she just talks about, she's like, I just love, I'm obsessed with the idea of the chaotic feminine. And, mm-hmm. um, and that kind of had it shot through a lot of the other movies on the list. And so, Watching Suspiria, um, I, I believe I've seen it kind of invoked in certain other reviews, like the, the few favorable reviews even written by female critics that I've seen um, have invoked kind of similar language, suggesting that there's something about uh, this movie's like lack of adherence to sort of like um, traditional male-defined standards of story structure, um, and instead just creating this kind of chaotic, amorphous, all-female space um, for just energy to sort of uh, well up and you know reverberate off of the different women in this home in this dance academy so it just made me feel like oh maybe there's maybe I'm just a dumb dude and maybe I'm not getting it except for there I mean there is the fact that it's directed by a man and it's written by a man mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. which was another rallying cry that I saw in other reviews where they're like I could not watch this without wishing the woman had directed it mm. um because it's also, it's hard to make any sort of political sense out of even the structure within the house, because Guadagnino has said that he doesn't feel like the women themselves. It's not like, oh, like they, even though we hear something about how like they went underground during the Holocaust, um, he was like, well, yeah, they wouldn't have really had any position on that. They just, you know, for their own pres- preservation, they went underground. So they just kind of ducked out of it. And, um, you know, and there's in, in the whole, the whole setup is very much similar to the first one where it's kind of like crones preying on young women mm-hmm. um and like needing to feed off of um the young women to um to to feed themselves and to make themselves stronger um and you know having sort of like unseemly ends for all of it so it's i i have a hard time calling it a feminist movie right right, right. um just because even though it is all female um you know there is it's good it's kind of it feels sort of like a women a female competition uh Mm. kind of movie uh so there's also a whole lot of i think the director thinks there's a lot of powerful mother-daughter symbolism in this movie um but frank it's too whacked out for me to um agree um not quite seeing where he was going with that so i just feel like a lot of it doesn't work um and uh you know i appreciate and it's oh my god man it's so dark It is so very dark just to look at, not meaning like for content wise, but just visually. It is so dark that I was, for the entire running time, I was distracted by the track lighting on the theater steps. Oh, like, it, <laughs> I have never seen track lighting on theater steps look brighter to me or have pulled my focus more often than staring at, like, the dark, muddy images of this movie wow. for two and a half plus hours. I, I want to watch it again. I really do. Um, it seems like the people who are responding to it the most, I've had conversations with people where they're like, totally hear you, like, I see the flaws, but just the experience that this movie provides um, I was on board for like, you know, even a straight guy I work with today was like, I watched this movie by myself at a late screening on Saturday night and I have rarely been more scared in my life.
0: Maybe you need to ask him what's going on with him. I feel like there's a lot of factors at play there. <laughs> uh, I plan on giving uh, this one a, a spin. So maybe I can uh, hit you back. Uh, yeah, please do. Weeks about please do. A couple weeks about where I stand. But is this, uh, is it having any sort of like a uh, special cinematic release around like, um, uh, like the type of film, or or is there if they're like a, you know, like is it super saturated and is there are there like a?
1: No, I don't think it's, it's not one of those things where they're like oh special seventy millimeter. Right. No, 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 I don't think so. Um, so kind of what we have here is what felt to me just kind of like a middling Lars von Trier movie. Ooh, that so, there's no
0: room for that. You uh, can't go middling. So, uh,
1: so yeah, uh, it does have one of the most batshit finale sequences you'll ever see in any movie. More than it, mother. Uh, kind of. Uh, it's 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 at least comparable to Mother's finale scene, uh, if not crazier. Ooh. Uh, but it just takes about a good 135 minutes to get to it. Well,
0: <laughs> that's what edibles are for. <laughs> uh, Suspiria is rated R for disturbing content involving ritualistic violence, bloody images, and graphic nudity. And I'm giving it a consume. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and also, he's giving it a consume. Wow, two two consumes. Yep. And here we are for movie number three. I can't wait to see what you're going to give it. Bohemian Rhapsody. Bohemian Rhapsody is a celebration of Queen, their music, and their extraordinary lead singer, Freddie Mercury. Freddie defied stereotypes and shattered convention to become one of the most beloved entertainers on the planet. The film traces the meteoric rise of the band through their iconic songs and revolutionary sound.
1: So, tell me, what makes Queen any different from all of the other wannabe rock
0: stars, I mean? Tell you what it is, Mr. Reed. We're four misfits who don't belong together. They're playing for other misfits. You're the outcast right at the back of the room. We're pretty sure they don't belong either. We belong to them. I, we have to just go right for the elephant in the room. Jason, how many times did you grunt doing this
1: movie? <laughs> uh, let's see. Well, I think as... Um... As I don't know if I've talked about this in the show or not, or just like like whispered it to you under my breath while we've been seeing movies where they've played the trailer for this. But yes, going into this movie, I was very concerned that I would not be able to withstand the amount of attraction I felt toward Rami Malek wearing Freddie Mercury's jumpsuits.
0: Mm-hmm. And?
1: You know, I'm here today, aren't I?
0: You are. You are. You are.
1: I survived. Um, it helps that they put such a ridiculous pair of chompers on him.
0: Uh, in this movie
1: Mm. kind of uh kind of balance things out a little bit
0: ridiculous but accurate
1: well no um so i think fred apparently freddie's issue was that he had an overbite Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um and instead the effect that comes through here is that of him being severely (laughs) buck-toothed which uh which was not the case that's
0: different.
1: different that is different but i guess freddie mercury actually did have four extra teeth in the back of his jaw wow yeah so that's part of what like shoved the whole mess out as uh to the point where it was
0: so i'm only i'm one fourth freddie mercury because i have that extra tooth floating in my face
1: oh remember that yeah i've been trying not to bring it up all these years but i do see it every now and then start to surface (laughs) oh it's cresting it's Um, so, uh, yeah, so, so Rami Malek has to fight an uphill battle in this entire movie against, um, the huge prosthetic teeth that he wears as well as the English
0: accent. Oh, right. Um, and the other thing that people are talking about, eraser erasure. Erasing the identity well, of Freddie Mercury.
1: Well, there's a lot of things people we are talking about because this is also a Brian Singer movie.
0: Oh, right.
1: So, uh, yeah. This movie had a lot of uh, a lot of strikes against it. A lot of, uh, He had an arduous path to the screen. Mm-hmm. But um, as we were taping this, it's the Monday after opening weekend, and it did just fine because yeah, Americans right. don't care about Nobody that. Nobody cares. No one cares. Uh, so okay. Brian Singer's already m- landed some sort of like $10 million advance to direct a Red Sonja adaptation. So... Mm. He is just Teflon. Like, he has nothing sticks to him. Uh, he's just no. one of these guys who just has the touch of just like, yeah, nope. go ahead. Do your worst. Uh, I'm going to, like, wiggle out of your grasp every time you try to pin something to me, even though everyone knows it's true.
0: All of those turns of phrase, upsetting and accurate.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, but yes. So, the erasure, uh, not the gay dance band, mm-hmm. um, but gay erasure, but not that gay erasure. <laughs> So, yeah, there's been a lot of uh, talk about how the movie treats Freddie Mercury's uh, sexuality. And, uh, and you know, it, it's a, the movie, it's... Mm. So, it doesn't fully... It doesn't erase it to the point that the hysterical gay press makes it sound like they have erased it. Like, the movie, he's gay in the movie. Uh, and they show him, like, kind of realizing it. They show him kind of trying to bottle it down. Um, they show him kind of on a journey of, of realizing he has to just admit it. Um, they show him sort of in this long-term, not-so-healthy gay relationship. Uh, they show him start to have a healthy gay relationship. Uh, it's, it's, it, so it's, it's all there. It's just a really watered-down PG-13 version of the story. Because as many have said how can you tell the story of Freddie Mercury without a lot of sex and drugs? Mm-hmm. And this movie does that. It tells the story of Freddie Mercury with no sex and no drugs. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, yes, many would say, like, well, that's not the story of Freddie Mercury then. But here's the thing. Um, the guys who own the rights to the music of Queen are the surviving bandmates. Mm-hmm. And they did not want a movie that... They did not want that kind of movie about Freddie. They did not want a movie that was graphic about that stuff. Um, they, for whatever reason, feel very protective, even though it's like we we all know. Um, they were just like, that's not the kind of story we want to tell. We want to tell just a really upbeat version of our band's story. Sasha Baron Cohen was attached for mm-hmm. a period of time, or at least was very publicly uh, discussing how he was going to be doing this. And um, he went on Howard Stern and said that, essentially he fell out of the project because he met with the band and was like, Oh yeah, I really wanted to like, it's important to me that we get really graphic about sex and nudity and drugs. And, um, and they were like, Oh no, 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 no. That's not at all the story we're going to let you guys tell. And, um, and according to him, um, one of the guys in the band said, um, well the thing that's gonna make the story the most amazing is what happens in the middle. And Sasha's like, well, what's that? And they're like, well, Freddie dies. Ooh. and he's like what happens after that and they're like well it's about the band the movie's about the band so it's about all of us picking up the pieces and, and still you know soldiering on and figuring out like how to be a band without Freddie wow so, so yeah so I think that you know it's the guys from Queen have never maybe moved on I mean clearly they haven't because they've been like they've had other, other guys fill in mm-hmm. as their lead vocalist most mm-hmm. recently Adam Lambert um to Didn't they
0: do like a contest.
1: Yeah, I think they well? did.
0: Yeah. And um,
1: so which is a, a strange thing. Um and so but I think that what they don't understand is that no one cares about them.
0: <laughs> right.
1: Um and the story is Freddie. Uh right. but uh but they had to if they wanted the music, they needed to give the guys what they wanted, and what they wanted was a super sanitized version of the story. Um and all the guys in the band aside from Freddie are painted as like literal schoolboys um who never are seen touching like a drink or a drug or like barely a girl. Um wow. so uh yeah, it's very, 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 very wildly sanitized.
0: So there just needs to be like a, a version of of the Freddie Mercury story that doesn't have the music of Queen in it. Yeah. In order for this to happen.
1: Yeah. I mean I feel like it is it's a movie that does feel like it's in denial um mm. about uh the story that it's telling. And uh I'll also note, um funny thing about the whole Brian Singer thing, uh so the movie doesn't have the healthiest, I would say probably yeah not the healthiest sort of representation of um, of queer life um, you know and Freddie was troubled um, but it it takes a very long time to show him in any kind of positive gay experience. Yeah. When you had
0: named all like his gay, how he was shown as being gay in the movie, you're like, his coming out and struggling. his like unhealthy related. It was like five, five things on the list were like not great. Right. Well,
1: granted it was the seventies. Sure. So it was a different time. It wasn't easy to be out. Um, And um, in, in, he, you know, came from a, uh, you know, from an immigrant family that wasn't wild about it. And, uh, and he, you know, he did marry a girl And, uh, so the movie spends a lot of time on the time that he was like married to this woman and then they divorce because she's like, you're gay. And, um, and then she remains his best friend and muse. And then, yeah, then he gets into this sort of like unfortunate, very toxic relationship with a guy who kind of, um, tries to drive a wedge between him and his bandmates and tries to make him do go do a solo career. And so the actual like healthy relationship is saved until almost the final frames of the film. And, um, Freddie meets him earlier in what I can only describe as a Brian Singer meet cute, wherein, um, Freddie is like lounging in his mansion after like a debauched party or like PG-13 debauched party. And um, a man comes over dressed as a, as a servant and, uh, and is leaning over and picking up some detritus. And then Freddie, um, kind of doesn't so much goose him as just kind of shoves his fingers up the guy's ass. Oh. And then the guy like wheels around and it's like, hey, and he's like, I'll knock your fucking block off. Um and he's like, Oh so sorry, so sorry, so sorry. Um and uh and then from that moment of casual physical sexual harassment springs not only lasting romance but redemption.
0: Oh my god, that is a Brian Singer meet cute.
1: It's a Brian Singer joint, y'all.
0: And I mean I feel like just giving that example of uh, getting some fingers up the butt shows how not gay washed or straight washed it is Mm. that's a little more graphic than i even expected i really thought it was gonna be zero zero discussion
1: oh yeah no i mean and that's and that's again like the gay press has been insane about this movie um it's not nearly the boogeyman that's been made out to be um you know it's very much discussed like there's man-on-man kissing uh it's it's there um it's just done in a really soft pg-13 way Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and they do they show him go to like leather bar they share there's this one kind of very like um, narcotic sequence where he goes to like a leather bar and there's just these like shots of him like walking around in his like leather jacket just kind of taking it all in watching it it, it does make it all seem very dangerous
0: mm-hmm.
1: Uh, so you know and it, you know, but freddie was drawn to danger he's drawn to extremes Um, you know he had these giant drug-fueled orgies all the time and yeah and it wasn't super healthy and you know eventually he did you know contract hiv and he died of aids and uh, but the movie is kind of it, it leaves it like leaves you it leaves it, if you don't know how you get AIDS you won't know from watching this movie mm-hmm. uh because they just kind of just are like oh well now he's at the hospital oh he's found he's found out oh he's got it and um and and then they uh they kind of like fully fictionalize this version of the story where this movie has a somewhat unique uh narrative arc because it is all framed around Queen's 1985 live aid performance at mm-hmm. Wembley mm-hmm. Like it opens with him about to go up there and then it flat in 1985 and it flashes back to 1970 when Freddie was just a baggage handler at Heathrow. And then just like, you know, go back through the 15 years that followed. Um, and then it ends right after that. Like the movie ends with a like real time, every shot reenactment of like the entire Queen set.
0: Oh, wow. That's long.
1: Yeah. Like they play four full songs. Um, but, and, and that might sound like, why am I watching a bunch of actors, like, do karaoke to, um, or or not even karaoke, just pretend to play because they're using the original uh, vocal tracks and everything. Um, but this is really where Rami Malek shines the brightest. Like, I was never fully convinced by him in a lot of the dialogue scenes. Like, he, like he didn't quite sell me on, like, himself as, like, this, like, fabulous bitchy fag, like, you know, like, romping around in his, like, glam couture. Mm. That... I wasn't buying at all, but the performance scenes he is electric. It is astonishing, and especially after the crucial restyling where Freddie like cut off the his longer hair mm-hmm. and went mm-hmm. with like the leather daddy of like the short black mm-hmm. hair and the mustache, then the the transformation is fucking complete. it is uncanny and during the whole live aid sequence like there were times where i was like okay they're using real footage now oh no they're not like that's that's still just rami malek like it is unbelievable unbelievable how he pulls that off is that
0: why you grew that mustache out and you're wearing it that is. leather jacket i'm
1: giving it a shot it
0: looks great thank you i like it yeah Own well, i it.
1: Guess, guess i'll keep it yep so uh i
0: would say yes queen <laughs> thanks for saying that mm-hmm.
1: Um, usually you just say no, Queen to me a lot, all the time, all the time.
0: Stop putting it on all the time.
1: Um, but uh, but yeah, so that's the structure of the movie. And um, but then it kind of like trumps up this like imaginary storyline where Freddie and the band reunited for Live Aid, which wasn't the case. Oh, um, and that Freddie told the band right before Live Aid that he had HIV, which wasn't the case. Uh, so there's a lot of there's a lot of fictionalized stuff in the story. That's a bummer. And um, you know, so this is. But yeah, at the end of the day, this is, this is genuinely this is a one man show. This is a movie you only watch for one reason, and that's Rami Malek.
0: This sounds like an airplane movie.
1: I would say it probably is an airplane movie uh, because it, that's that's I think that's the mistake that they make is that it's kind of like a ju- it's like a they treat it like a jukebox musical. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's um, Jersey
0: Boys, but it's Heathrow Boy. Right. <laughs>
1: um, and that's kind of the issue I had with that T N. Turner musical I saw in London was that I felt like they in the in the interest of making like a a a crowd-pleasing jukebox musical that they were kind of like um not giving the gravity necessary to Mm, these mm. many years of savage domestic abuse that took place in that marriage and uh so yeah so i feel like they have kind of sacrificed any sort of actual in-depth heart and soul look at who freddie mercury was how freddie mercury was um there's also just a distracting cameo by Mike Myers that I who oh, I no. who I did not recognize. I genuinely thought that he'd like trust a lesbian up and like a weird red beard, um, and it was not. It was Mike Myers, and um, they just give him a uh, give him a line just to give the audience a little chuckle um, because of Mike Myers' own connection to Bohemian Rhapsody, as we all oh. know.
0: Yeah, yeah, there's that. What are you giving this one, Jason?
1: um it's a consume purely for Rami Malek's wow. performance
0: we have a three consumes
1: yep triple consume we had a triple binge last week and now we're into triple, triple consume, consume. yeah
0: wow well maybe you'll have some leftover from last week you didn't get a chance to see yeah um or you're going on a flight in a couple of months <laughs> right <when this> is <laughs> right. right uh bohemian rhapsody is rated pg-13 for thematic elements suggestive material drug content and language Jason, that's it. That's it. Uh, Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to subscribe, even though I'm still questioning why, but Jason insists that you must. So rate, um, rate, rate it. Rate, subscribe. Jason's on Twitter at... Excess Baggage. I am at White Balance. Uh, Thank you so much for listening. Bye, guys. Bye-bye.
1: Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason.
0: You made it to the end, that's
1: amazing. There There
0: goes the binge.